0: everyone, and welcome to Season 3 of the Film Score Podcast. As always, this is your host, Nick. I'm glad you could finally join me after this several-month wait, but I think the wait's going to be worthwhile. I have a great set of guests for you over the next coming months, and we'll see what the future beyond that holds. But today, my guest is Cozy Fanny Tutti. You might not be as familiar with her if you're solely a fan of film music, but she's maybe best known for being one of the founding members of the avant-garde band Throbbing Gristle. So she ended up being really one of the pioneers of industrial and electronic music. A lot of what we hear today, frankly, might not exist, at least not in the form that it does, without their work she's also been involved in the music and art scene for probably 50 years, with a number of projects, including solo work, collaborations, and even scores. So today we primarily talk about her score for the new film-slash-documentary Delia Derbyshire, The Myths and the Legendary Tapes, which covers parts of the life of Delia, one of the most influential, electronic musicians and composers, who herself is probably best known for doing the modern electronic arrangement of the Doctor Who theme, which I think she did in the earlier mid-1960s. And Cozy also has a new book out called Resistors, which is about the lives of Cozy, Delia, as well as Marguerite Kemp, the 15th century mystic who also is credited for the first autobiography of a woman. So highly recommend checking all of those out if you can. Now, as I said, there's a lot more in store, so keep your ears open every other Sunday. But until then, sit back and I hope you enjoy. Cozy, thank you so much for joining me today. How have you been?
1: I've been good, thanks. Uh, busy, but that's good too, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what what exactly have you been working on now? I know that your book, Resistors just came out on August 18th, I think, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. And I've been working on um, promoting the album that was kind of triggered off the book itself. So I've been busy doing that and sorting things out, ready for next future projects as well. I've got a meeting tomorrow for an art project so nothing stops.
0: Oh I mean that's great. Can you give us any hints as to what some of these projects might be? Are they really in the, the early stages right now?
1: They're in the early stages. Um, like uh, Some of them have, have kind of um, presented themselves literally in the last couple of weeks hmm. in response to the book funnily enough. Somebody's written to me and um, I've decided to do a project around our conversation and what emerged from their experience with Delia Derbyshire. Really? Interesting. Yeah, yeah.
0: What exactly spawned or prompted the the interest that you've had over the last several years in Delia Derbyshire?
1: I I think right from the early 70s, I knew of um, the Radiophonic Workshop and their uh, experimental work. Hmm. But as far as Delia was concerned, she was kind of like grouped in with them. So it wasn't obvious that what she'd done and then over the years, particularly after she died, just shortly before she died, she started getting some credit for what she'd um, contributed to the Radiophonic Workshop in her own right, as well as, you know, working with other people. And um, Caroline was working on a film all about her. And she got in touch with me, having gone to an art exhibition of my work and seen a film with the soundtrack that I'd done for it. And um, that's what inspired her to approach me to um, work on the music for her film.
0: And was was there any hesitation on your part or when that came in you were ready to just jump right in on it?
1: Oh, ready to jump immediately. Yeah. <laughs> Who wouldn't? <laughs> yeah. I was like, I thought, wow, this is a real gift, you know. Cause we'd just Chris and I had just released um a year or so before, we'd released a twelve inch single that was dedicated to Delia mm. before we knew about Caroline's film. Uh, so yeah, it all seemed quite sort of serendipitous really.
0: But, you know, on that same front, did it feel like there was an an extra pressure? I mean, because it's, it's not as if you're kind of, because working on the the music for the film, you're not exactly in her shadow, but like creating music that's going to be fitting of, of someone like her. Was that a bit of an extra pressure? Or did you not even think about
1: it? Kind of 50-50, really. I think there was some pressure in terms of wanting to represent her sonically. Mm. Um, that showed respect for her work and for her as a person. So the pressure came from there, really. And also that pressure to um, give Caroline what she felt was needed for her film.
0: How did those conversations go then between you and Caroline to figure out the right music, the right palette, everything like that?
1: We had a couple of meetings before I decided 100% to do it. And we got on so well, and we seemed to have the same attitude towards Delia and we were really excited about it talking about her between ourselves and then um, she had some scripts already and she sent me and for the different scenes she'd written in it what kind of sounds she imagined would work for those scenes so we went through the scripts together discussing these sounds and and when she said I want this kind of sound I said right How about I take white noise and we go from there and then it goes into something else? Is that the kind of sound you had in mind? Absolutely. Okay. Because she hadn't done the film yet. She'd done a short, but she hadn't done the film. So I had no images to go by. I had, like Delia, I just had a written brief. (laughs) So um, I was like mirroring Delia off and on all the way through, which was really nice, actually. It was an added bonus, I think, inspiring me. So I would send her music or sounds for each scene that she had given me the script for and then say let me know if these are right how long you want this for and if it needs tweaking in any way and it just went so smoothly we seemed to be on the same wavelength absolutely all the way through I don't know it just was like um a really fantastic experience something that I didn't expect it was a a happy joyful experience
0: really because it's yeah it's it's so funny saying that because when I listen to the score it I mean at at times it's it's quite haunting especially with some of the darker sounds and the noisier elements.
1: I say joyful in terms of the fact that um, I keyed into Delia and me and Caroline keyed into one another with Delia alongside I don't know it just seemed to work really well very fluently and so that's what I mean by joyful is that we had those moments that even when they were dark times for Delia and I came up with some of the sounds. It was just like, okay, we've got Delia's mood. We've got Delia, who she actually was. And this is, this is what we wanted, Caroline and myself. We didn't want something that was fantastical or anything. We wanted to echo Delia herself.
0: And it sounds like you and Caroline totally nailed that. You mentioned using some white noise and manipulating it. What were some of the other instruments or sounds or... Existing pieces that you sampled, manipulated, used to make the the score
1: um well, I did a lot of field recordings for specific um scenes like the clogs. So I'd go out and record mm. wood on stone cobbles, which is what it was from the scene that she wanted during the war, you know, when she was sent to her auntie's house. So there was a lot of field recordings, and also I for the snuff chorus, which is when she's there's a scene about. Delia sneezing and she begins to take snuff which she quickly gets addicted to. I went to the quietest place in our house and recorded snuff tins opening and closing and sniffing and sneezing and coughing and then started working on those manipulating them and making them to a little kind of melody Hmm. which was um, one of Delia's real skills was that she could take things that were the subject matter of her brief, one of them was doorbells and door knockers, and she literally used recordings of those and made them into a little kind of ident. So I, I took that kind of um, example to create Snuff Chorus. So everything was related to Delia in that sense as well. And hmm. um, whatever I did, I wanted it to um, reflect how she would have gone, gone about it. But as well, I had access to an interview of Delia, which is a very good interview that John Kavanaugh did, and it was done about just a few years before she died where she's laughing and talking about herself and I asked his permission to use some of her voice for the recordings and for the album and I sampled those and cut them up stretched squeezed and did whatever I could to get the essence of Delia within the music throughout the soundtrack so you can't recognize her but she's there she's inherent you know
0: interesting and that was that was actually uh a note that I'd written to myself about the score of just wondering are some of these elements like the ghost or presence of Delia constantly appearing throughout and it feels like in some ways like you said modulating some of her voice like that's literally the case.
1: Yeah literally.
0: Yeah the track Tatum Ergo and maybe a couple others have some more recognizable vocals were those also sampled or or were those yours?
1: Yeah those are from Delia from that interview Mm. she started she was singing Tatum Ergo. She just sort of went into this little little uh, song, you know. Yeah, those moments were for me, Delia, as opposed to when she's doing an interview and she's just talking about her work, she'd sort of go off and she'd sort of like relax and just become who she was and express herself. And those were the parts that I was most interested in because mm. um, the rest of it has been recorded ad infinitum in books and whatever else about her um, achievements. But I also went and took, um, I have a Kulikon lampshade, which was her favourite little thing she'd go to, and she'd strike it and get these wonderful sort of ringtones and frequencies. And um, I had one in the studio from when we did that record I told you about. The title was Coolicon, mm. So I used that as well. And I, I had a Cynthia, which was um, equivalent to what she used, the VCS3. I used that a lot and took her patch sheets patch them in and then work from there. None of them sounded quite the same because it, it's idiosyncratic machine. But I took hair as a starting point and whatever that sound that generated from hair patch sheets, I took that, recorded it, manipulated it, put it in Ableton or put it through Space Echo, all those kind of things. So that's that's how I went about everything. Tapes, you know, taping it, cutting it up, splicing, you know, it was wonderful. Both hair both her sort of techniques are my own.
0: Okay, and that, and that's something that I wanted to ask about is is by using some of her techniques and some sounds or instruments that she used, did you ever have a worry that you might be losing your voice by utilizing hers? Or, or was this always going to be 100% cosy's music, but just with a few different elements?
1: No, I didn't want it to be 100% me. Not at all. I think that would be disrespectful. and and the audio tapes the digitized audio um, files that she had in the archive I knew that I knew that she didn't like her music being messed with because she was a perfectionist so again out of respect for that I didn't want to mess with her sounds I wanted to take her approach and everything as a starting point for me and find uh, music and sounds that were more Delia sounding than me but they came through me. I was a conduit for, for Delia, basically.
0: I love that because it feels like that's what so much of this project is. Mm. You know, I, I think it's easy for a documentary or a biopic or just any sort of work telling someone else's story to lose the truth or the identity of that person. And so it's, mm. it's great how that seems to be at the forefront of your mind and Caroline's mind to make sure that first and foremost, this has to respect Delia.
1: Yeah, and there was, um in the tones, we had, um Caroline said, that came in after the film was made, and she said to me, what I really would like is some tones, and I want tones of me, you, and Delia to represent all three of us working together to create Delia in this film, so I did that as well, that was one of the last things that I did for her.
0: Was there a an extra difficulty on that to have these tones specifically representing each one of you? Or did that come quite naturally?
1: No, because Caroline recorded herself. Hmm. I recorded myself. And I also had recordings of Delia. So then I put them all in. And we kind of like morphed them into one another so that we were kind of like merged.
0: Hmm. And actually, I'd want to jump back really quick to something that you had said earlier on, talking about and kind of discovering more about her, do you think that there's a a growing appreciation both for her work and her influences and accomplishments, or do you think that the true amount that we should be appreciating her is still a a ways out?
1: I I think um, full recognition is yet to come, to be honest, and full appreciation of her skills and her imagination and her as a person, because she had such strength and willpower to carry on regardless of the misogyny, which was absolutely horrendous at the time she was at the Radiophonic Workshop. On a personal level, she had a lot to put up with, but she still managed, because of her love of music, to carry on and and create things that she felt were right until it got too much for her, you know, the pressure of it got too much.
0: Do you think that you've come into similar aspects where the pressure of those elements has seemed too much or too difficult or have made things, you know, at least in your mind, feel like, is this all worth it?
1: No, because I've I've not worked for an institution like she did, you know, and she did break away from it and do independent projects. And I think that's what kept her going, kept her mm. spirit high. But for me, I, I've, I've been independent since um, 1969. So if, if things felt like pressure to me, then that kind of signaled to me that it wasn't right. So I'd leave it and do something different. I haven't felt pressure like that, not the way she did. I've, I've you know, experienced misogyny, of course. There's all that and appropriation and so on. That's some of the connections between us that I talk about in the book.
0: Do you think that those have lessened to an extent over the years? Or, I mean, even at this point in this day with all that you've accomplished, I imagine that that still comes up.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's not gone away at all. I think there's um, a sort of um, belief that it's sort of improved a bit. because I think mainly because of the internet and people can get more exposure so, and they have more of a voice. People shout about it more, whereas before when Delia, nobody mentioned it at all. You just had to put up with it and work the best way you could to get around the problem. It's a difficult thing because in some ways things have improved and in others we've not got a lot far forward. Can you
0: expand on that last point of of things that really haven't progressed? Because I I do agree that both on misogyny and racism, we like to believe now that things have have really progressed and changed. But being in the U.S., for instance, I I can see that many things
1: seems to be going really backwards.
0: Gone. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's oh, oh, um you know it's um Handmaid's Tale. I had to stop watching that because I thought, and this was ages ago. <laughs> When it first came out, I said to Chris, I can't watch this anymore because I know this can happen. I know it can happen. And it's like, here it comes, you know. So, yeah, things are going slipping backwards. But as far as music's concerned, I think there's more willingness now to have women uh, represented in, like, live situations and so on. But you still have that misogyny of when you turn up at a gig and the guy's... Usually guys doing the PA and things treat you like you don't know what you're doing because you're a woman and you don't understand technology and so on. I talk about it in the book. Happens to me all the time. That's one instance and other situations where a friend of mine was asked to do, has been asked to do remixes and is not offered a fee. Whereas Mm. a guy that she worked with is given a fee without question. Even as far as some of the so-called women's festivals of electronic music. There was one in particular not long ago that was um, run by men who got an arts council grant and then paid the women very, very small amounts of money for appearing. So yet it still goes on. And I can't understand why people seem to think that we're all human beings, but there's a separation between men and women. And there isn't, we're all people. We all have talents and they should be you know, recognized.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, having been in music and an art for 50 some odd years, does it feel like you have a position as someone that's known and entrenched and maybe has influence or can be a role model? Like, does that come into your mind as someone that younger women making music or getting into music can look up to?
1: I don't really think about that. Hmm. It doesn't enter my mind that someone would look to me for that kind of, um, you know, authority on how to run your life and, and do your music, no. But I mean, I have had people say that I've inspired them and I think that that's as much as I'll accept in that regard because I think that's a wonderful thing to do. If they've gone off because of my work and done something in their own right and they're feeling good about it, then that's um, a wonderful thing to, to have passed on to someone. And then they'll do the same thing and someone will listen to them and be inspired. That's how you pass it on one after the other, but you have to do it first. That's the whole point. Like Delia, you have to do it that it was done at all is the whole point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And on that same piece, when you were starting out, was there anyone in particular that was inspiring you or were you just going in and making things and experimenting?
1: That's a difficult one because I never think of anyone as inspiring me or I look to someone to admire. I respected people. Um, I'm talking about myself like as a 17-year-old when I was thrown out of home and then I had to find my own way. And I was with a group of people that were searching for an alternative way of life. So we were also looking at alternative ways of of, uh, creating art and music and performance. And so I never really thought of who to look to for that because it was all pretty new and everyone you know all over the world they were doing similar things and that was great because we all encouraged one another you know especially when mail art came in you could sort of like write to people and say mm-hmm. we're doing this and they'd send sort of information about what they were up to and everything and it's quite different now very different but um yeah I never really think of it in that way at all I just get on and do it i mean I think of <laughs> something and I think that's, that, that'll that sound good, or I want to do that project in art. You know, I really I get this sort of drive within me to do it. And there you go. That's just life for me.
0: No, I, I love it. It feels in some ways like the, the purest way to go.
1: I hope so, because I, I don't like impure things. <laughs> <laughs> they trouble me.
0: And <laughs> talking about, you know, starting off working in collectives and art groups, that in some ways seems to have been a through line throughout a lot of your career of of collaboration, be it through that or Throb and Gristle, your, your work over the years with Chris, or even scoring the film, where again, even if you're solely making the music, it's done in collaboration with the film, the team with Caroline. Is there something about collaboration that particularly interests you, or is it really just natural when you're doing so much art?
1: I think art, any form of art, whether it's music, film or anything, it's all about communication. And I feel that communication is all about collaborating, being with people, whether it's collaborating in terms of them seeing what you do, listening to what you do. And then you get feedback from that and that comes back to you and it all builds up into whatever you're going to do next. It's a cumulative but it's important for me it's all about communication so collaboration is a part of that you can't get away from it having said that the film that inspired caroline to ask me to do the soundtrack was not collaborative it was a solo project <laughs> so there are times when i step to one side and do solo projects it's all about being with people and talking with them and listening and that's what life's about that's what i think anyway
0: yeah i think so too you know if you're if you're sitting uh in a little room like I am alone all the time, it would be—I don't know. Yeah,
1: you'd go mad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think you would get to dislike yourself pretty quick. I would anyway. I'd sit there and start thinking, "Oh no, no, no."
0: So we are running near the end, and you know maybe this is too open-ended a question, but is there any single thing that you'd want? listeners, viewers, readers to take away from Delia that they might not know or that they should know?
1: Oh, goodness. That's, um, I think just her strength and courage to be who she was because she she kind of knew who she was, but she was constantly compromised. Hmm. And so she would sort of pull back and then come out again. And then something would happen. She'd have to draw draw away. But she never actually relinquished who she was. She remained Delia till the end, and I love her for that, and Clive, who was her partner for the last 20 years of her life, loved her for that, loved her for being Delia, and I think we have to just, I think selfdom is, my book's dedicated to selfdom, and I think it's important to recognise yourself, and get to know yourself, and hopefully you'll like yourself too. That's the bonus. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that's, you know, we're we're stuck with ourselves for a very long time, so...
1: Hopefully,
0: yeah. Yeah, that's true. Hopefully, yeah. fingers crossed. All right. Well, Cosy, thank you so much for for joining me and chatting with me. I've got to say, I really enjoy the the score that you did. It's like oh, thank you. Very, very weird in a good way because that's the type of music that I love. Hearing things that I'm not familiar with or that mm. that challenge you couldn't ask for more. Yeah,
1: the unfamiliar is very, very essential. I think.
0: On that note, I will leave you to the rest of your afternoon. And and thanks again for jumping in a chat with me for a little while.
1: Yeah, it's been nice talking to you.